0: Views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU.
1: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC
2: 88.1.
3: Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.06. It is Tuesday, February 3rd. And on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. On Eye on the Triangle tonight, we are continuing our breakaway from tradition, which our regular listeners will realize also occurred during our last show. Tonight's Eye on the Triangle will feature another live discussion. The topic of our discussion this evening is a bit less controversial than the last time. We have here in the studio students and faculty who are involved in this year's Student Short Film Showcase, which is the fifth annual of its kind. Our guests this evening are Mark Russo, a senior multimedia specialist in art and design here at NC State, and he teaches a class that focuses on animation. We've also got Sarah Stein, Dr. Sarah Stein, an associate professor in communication who teaches a film class. We've also got quite a host of students joining us. They are Aaron Cook, Jennifer Stilley, Donna Salberg, and Margot Jordan. And now I figured to get things started, if we could have each of the students introduce themselves real quick, since I did not list your majors and what year you are in school, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you.
4: Hi, I am Jen Stilly, and I was a major in media communication with a minor in film studies. And I actually graduated this past December. So, yeah.
5: Um, I'm Aaron Cook, and I was a major in uh, film studies, and I graduated uh, this past May. So, yeah.
6: I am Alyssa Barrett, and I am a graduate student in art and design, and I will be graduating this May.
1: My name is Margot Jordan. I recently, this past uh, fall, graduated my undergrad in art and design, and now I'm pursuing my master's in animation as well.
0: My name is Donna Salberg, and I am a graduating senior a film studies major.
3: And our professors, if you wouldn't mind, um, could you explain just a little bit about each of the classes that you teach here at NC State?
2: I'm Dr. Stein, and um, I'm here tonight representing the film class that I teach. We actually um, shoot on 16-millimeter celluloid, which is quite a throwback in some ways. Um, It has a lot of the same principles as digital or digital has the same principles as film, since film came first. But it is a particular medium, and I'll be talking about that tonight.
3: Sure. So if we could just go right, jump right into that.
7: Um, oh, I'm sorry. Mr. Russo, please explain your <laughs> class for us. Um, didn't mean to skip I'm here. an animator. I'm used to being forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> we like to blend in the background. Uh, my name is Mark Russo, and I'm an assistant professor in art and design, and I teach uh, the Advanced Animation Studio and the Undergraduate Animation Studio. And the stuff that... Uh, Be screened is coming from a variety of classes. uh, Some from the studios, which is uh, everything from three D to two D animation, and then uh, some stuff from our intro to animation class, which was taught by a graduate student, uh, Scott Donnelly, and uh, those pieces are rotoscoped animation.
3: Great. If we could return to Doctor Stein real quick, and if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more in depth, you said you spoke your teach your class focuses on film, both sixteen millimeter, as I understand it, and digital um for me i just know those are different but i don't necessarily know how
2: okay that's fine um digital video production is the most current and the most prevalent production that's going on there are a number of reasons for that it's becoming very much more sophisticated as time goes on the cameras are becoming more sophisticated it's in its way a less expensive medium because the stock what you shoot onto can either be cards or it you know, even tape is going out now, whereas film stock is expensive. And one of the differences when the, fil- when the students shoot film, they can't see what they're shooting at the time that they're shooting. So one of the things you always see with digital video production is that people are actually looking on a monitor and they're seeing what they shot. If they don't like it, they reshoot it. Stock is cheap and it's no problem to just reshoot something. So with the film work, What's terrific, and represents the work of the students I have here tonight, which is very high level and very fine, is they have to figure out this film in advance. They have to see that film in their heads. They storyboard it. They have to shoot it with knowing how long each shot's going to be. And they have to shoot with an economy of uh, filming, which is very, very important to the aesthetic of making films. That nature of cinematic film really depends on you understanding that you've got to show rather than tell, that you'll hear always, but that you have to figure out a way to convey perhaps a whole inner life with a very shorthanded visual symbol. And that can be a difficult thing to do, but can yield something um, really, really good in that way. Um, so that that's what I'd like to talk about, anyway.
3: Sure, and so you emphasized really a lot there the forethought that you have to put in when you're going to shoot on film. Is that something that you teach in your class, or is it something that the students just kind of have to learn on their own? No,
2: we it's part of the class um, curriculum. They do it in every form, and you should be doing it in digital production. And I'm sure, you know, I know my colleague Jim Elchidiak, who has some a couple of videos in this year's uh, festival showcase as well. He has them storyboard. Everybody generally storyboards. What I'm making a, a greater emphasis about is that if they don't follow their storyboards, they're going to run out of film. You can run out of film very fast, and it's expensive to buy. So whereas it might be $30 for three minutes of film stock, it could be 7 to $10 for an hour of digital stock. (laughs) So that's a big difference, right? And um, you need to know what you're doing. What I like to think, and I've seen it happen, is what my film students come away with. Most of them are going to go on to shoot digital because it's less expensive and it's more available and it makes sense to do that. But what I really like And what I see is that the film students go out to shoot digital after taking the film class, and they're starting to think very carefully about what they're shooting. They really have an eye and, and again, that idea of economy. How do you convey the most with one thing? How do you convey the interior of somebody's life, for instance, um, in a way that's visual? And, you know, the problem with, with digital, if it's not well done, is what I say, people shoot anything that moves. That's a problem, because if you go into an editing situation with a film idea and you've shot everything that moves, then you could have hours of garbage, um, essentially. Or if not garbage, just something that's not relevant to what you're doing. And it's very difficult to find the film inside of that. You know, when you come out of that film atmosphere, you're, you're looking, you have a direct idea of what you're doing, and you're looking for it. It doesn't always work. That's the great thing about a university, and an educational class it doesn't have to succeed in the way that somebody with a budget and a deadline and a release date has to succeed in but it needs to succeed on the students terms and my terms which are the same terms which is they try things and they learn what works and what doesn't so it's a it's i find it after ten years of teaching it, i'm still excited about it i'm still passionate about it i'm still amazed with the creativity that the students bring in it it just astonishes me every time it's going to be reflected in this year's um film festival uh the two nights again i'm hoping lots of people will come and see because it's a remarkable creative output and um i know that the different students that i have here tonight will be talking about what that meant to them and how they were shooting that
3: with respect to your the short film showcase that you just mentioned, is that something that you find a lot of your students will be inspired to take part in as a result of taking your class? Is, it, is your class meant with a specific purpose of getting students to participate? No, no. It's, <laughs> okay. a,
2: it, you know, it, it's a curriculum, and it's an it's a educational thing. It's part of our major. Uh, however, I will point out that this year um, I managed to skip a semester of films Inadvertently, uh, just by being kind of overwhelmed with the number of really high quality, I'm I'm amazed at how much the quality keeps advancing. And i you know, I'd love to think it was me, but I really don't think it's me. It's it's some other chemistry that's happening. But but um, anyway, I inadvertently skipped over a semester because I thought we'd screened them, and then I heard from some of the filmmakers. About that, I had missed them and who were very disappointed and upset <laughs> that they weren't going to be part of this showcase. So, that gives me a sense that it really does matter to people to screen in that setting. Part of it is you're on this huge screen. You know, we're, sh- we're screening in the classroom on these flat screen monitors in the in the hunt library for instance it's a theater sized screen with surround sound it's a fabulous setting and and the students haven't seen their films on that in that kind of setting before so it's it's really thrilling and they get to talk about the films and i know there's a couple of people here tonight who've already been part of a festival. Aaron and Alyssa have been part of a festival, so has Margo. And so I hope they'll bring up some experience of what that was like. I know from Aaron, he told me that it, it meant a lot to him and made him more committed in a way to becoming a filmmaker, to have more of that experience. So I think it's a great event, but I also think it's important for the university campus to understand that there are people, students on campus, who have a commitment to an art form that is immensely creative but immensely difficult it is not easy to do this and i think they should be no you know people should be noticed for that and and it it would be great for the campus to understand there's that level of commitment and productivity going on here which doesn't always get a lot of notice
3: well thank you very much dr stein we'd like to thank you for joining us this evening and for everything you've had to say and at this point, we'd like to move over to uh, our student participants and um, just focus a little bit more on your submissions for the student short film showcase that Dr. Stein just mentioned. Now, as I understand it, the, the first of the screenings is next Wednesday. Is that correct? Um, if Could one of you actually go through and describe your what, you, what exactly it is that you're submitting for this? Is it, what are the guidelines? How long does it have to be? What is a short film in this context?
5: Um, it wasn't really, it wasn't a submission process per se. Um, it's just kind of one of, it's just a nice way for us to show what students have done, like work-wise throughout the semester. Um, and like Dr. Stein said, it gives the students an opportunity to show off their work um, and what they've been working on. So the shorts, there, there's no like time um, uh, restraint or anything like that. So they all vary, I guess, from like, I know Dr. Stein's classes from like one to three minutes and then once you get from there the digital production classes are anywhere from 10 to
3: five or 10 minutes so um okay and and has anyone here participated in a previous short film showcase here at nc state
1: i have um but in is Mar- margo yes this is margo um i have but uh i do more animation rather than the uh, actual filmmaking that
3: the rest do and okay, you kind of emphasize the difference there between animation and filmmaking, and I 'm a little curious because uh when I think about you know both filmmaking and animation, it seems like there would be a very similar process beforehand at least in thinking through of, like Dr. Stein was saying, storyboarding or maybe coming up with a particular plot or, or idea um, and then what where I guess does, do you think it breaks off between making a film and making an animation?
1: So um, this is actually a really fun discussion that we have during class quite a bit, is what is the difference between animation and film? So I am kind of amused you brought that up. Um, It's really difficult to find that line because as technology improves, more and more things we see in theaters, for example, it's the question of, this is animation we're watching because most of the special effects, most of the scenery, most of the characters even are all computer generated and they're not real
7: people so
3: so in terms of in terms of just the difference between real people, Mr. Russo, do you have something in particular you want to contribute since you do teach a class about animation?
7: yeah I mean I think the the large difference I guess between like what we're doing here, the difference is that in in the films we're working with sort of you know Live people, uh, you know, the actors are live. Um, the, uh, in the animation world, we're working with uh, most of the stuff is sort of computer generated. Uh, and uh, as animators, we like that. I mean, the, the story from today is that one of my students who's shooting a film, his actors got the flu. Um, and, you know, so now he's weeks behind. And I told him he might want to sort of rethink the whole project because animated characters don't get the flu. We just keep working with them. They do what we want all the time. Right. So and with respect
3: to animations, um, you said that, you know, as animators, you, you really enjoy b- having that little bit of freedom um, with not really having to deal with actors. But I'm wondering, is there a kind of a teamwork aspect in working with other animators on one particular piece or is it usually just one animator has his or her idea and focuses on that for a, a specific amount of time?
7: So a part of the curriculum, at least uh, for the early studios, is that, you know, it's sort of one animator working on one film, but it is still a collaborative process. So every time there's a a story idea or an iteration on the story, we sort of put it up in front of the class and get, you know, sort of uh, a number of critiques um, on each piece. So even if it is your piece in the end and you're going to toil with that thing endless numbers of hours – um you've gotten a lot of feedback from everybody else in the class which is invaluable because if you're working on this kind of stuff on your own uh you know you can get mired down in in bad ideas or mired down in what you think are great ideas um and and in this you know in this context you get you know 22 people who can help you sort of problem solve and and work through uh things that you know you might not be able to sort of solve on your own sure and so you
3: mentioned one of the major um, pros of doing animation is you know not having to worry about actors or, or things like that, maybe also weather or different scenes. Um, I was wondering, what are some of the other major differences or major pros and cons, I suppose, with choosing to make an animation over making a film? Uh,
1: Margot speaking again. Um, so I guess more so to answer a bit more in-depth uh, your question, the difference between in film and animation is uh, animation, everything is manipulated and created by yourself everything is meticulously planned out if someone just so if you have your character so gently just turn their head you have to do every single frame of this where in film it's really kind of all there for you so
7: actually it would be interesting because Alyssa has shot she has a film screening and an animation screening so she may be able to say even more to this than other people can
6: uh, this is Alyssa, and uh, yeah, that's right. So this year, I have a um, animation that I did in Mark's class, which is a 3D um, animated short, and then a film that I did in Dr. Stein's class um, last semester. And the process was very similar, but very different for both of them. You know, we storyboarded it out, figured out all the shots. But um, in Dr. Stein's class, we, were, we had a lot of um, constraints: the using film, the the cameras. Uh, We had to have the camera on a tripod. It was so heavy that I couldn't really carry it. (laughs) Whereas in animation, the camera can be anywhere. The characters can be anything. The characters can do anything. Um, And in the films, I was restricted to a person I could get come be my actor on a Saturday um, afternoon because they wanted to sleep in in the morning. Um, So that brings its own challenges and also its advantages. Um,
3: Which one would you say, do you prefer one over the other?
6: I think I would prefer animation over film just because I like sitting in a quiet room by myself doing my own thing, not really having to depend on anyone. Um, but then I have to depend on myself, and that's, <laughs> that's a pretty big challenge also. Um, with film, after we shot that day with the film, the film was all shot. Couldn't do anything after that. I had to wait for the film to come back, and that was such a huge relief. Whereas with animation, I think you could sit there and tinker around with it for days until you felt it was perfect.
3: So now just kind of more broadly on the idea of a short film I was wondering if anybody has any particular input about uh, my question basically is how do you it must be a struggle in a sense to not have it feel like a trailer for a longer movie is that something that you consciously think about try to avoid or is there certain I guess short films that you aim to make feel like that in any sense.
1: Mar- uh, Margot speaking again. So um, at least with animation, what I've done so far uh, does not really feel like a trailer to me. It feels really just more of a short because we are usually told you have a minute to resolve your story. And a minute is a really short and yet a really long amount of time to really do whatever it is. Take that as you will. Um, but it's, it, it really just depends on the message I think you're trying to convey.
3: And uh, just back to your uh, thinking about what you said, um, you said you wanted to kind of wrap things up inside of a minute. But I noticed that there's something about your film, The Generative Edge, that just kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more to know what happens next. And is that something that you leave in there, you know, purposely saying, you know, you want someone to come back and say, I want to see more of what this person has done?
0: So,
1: um, it, there's actually a very specific reason in this particular case because this film was created for last year's Art to Wear festival or the Art to Wear show. Um, in particular, my piece was meant to open up Jillian Page's uh, sets that she designed. Um, so her her idea was generative design. So my process that whole semester was introducing her outfits that she made through my animation.
3: Does anyone else have anything to add about trying to, I guess, leaving the
7: the viewer hanging purposely or unintentionally? So, I mean, telling a short film, I mean, telling a short story is harder, I think, than telling sort of a long form story you can kind of go on and on and on but if you're given the constraint you know like the filmmakers here are given the constraint that they only have a certain amount of film stock to work in and with animation there's just only so much you could actually physically produce in a semester so you know one one minute of animation is actually pushing sort of the upper limit of what can be done in a a semester so having to come up with a story that can you know introduce the character introduce the ordinary world have a sort of uh, you know a a something happen that sort of you know turns that ordinary world upside down, has these sort of rising actions, a climax, and a resolution you know that 's a that 's a really hard challenge to do in a minute, so some of the things that we do is that the resolution is left up to the you know up to the viewer right so we leave them with that sort of that wanting more um let their imagination or don't sort of resolve each little thing that happens in the middle like leave them with sort of open bits of time where the viewer has to fill things in which is not done very much anymore in sort of feature length film you know our imagination we don't really that doesn't get engaged you know quite as, as much as it used to but, but you know these filmmakers and these animators are really using that sort of um, more classical style of filmmaking where we're relying on the participation of the audience to, to you know to it's like a partnership between us and the audience you know in telling the story almost
3: so the idea of fill in the blank is basically the main idea
7: there's a lot of that, I think, that goes on, and I, I suppose that like, the filmmakers and animators could talk a little bit about. It. I mean, Margot already did, but I, some of the filmmakers could talk about that. You know, how much fill in the blank do they do they calculate in, and how much fill in the blank do they hear after the fact that, like, you know, a, that audience members sort of filled in for them.
5: Um, this is Aaron speaking, um, but I you know I totally agree with that. Um, the ambiguity that you can kind of leave in films is kind of one of the attractions to just the short film um, or short narrative form. Um, and it's, it's interesting to hear after someone has seen your film, what they, you know, picked up on and what, what they are, what they're reading in it um, versus like what you originally intended it for. Um, and it kind of can change your, your perspective on what you um, were intending to, to do with it in the first place in the story and kind of, can inspire you, you know, for your next project or, or for other ideas. Um but yeah, that's it's it's not so much um trying to cram a full story into 1 minute, but it's it's kind of just giving little hints at stuff um and 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 picking your shots very particular to know what you want to, you know, put out there and what what do you want it to mean and and yeah, and just kind of leaving it open, yeah, like you said to the viewers um to kind of understand what they take from it. So
0: this is Donna speaking, and uh, Dr. Stein, she did a really good job in our production course where she ha- had us focus on a character. We did a minute film. We collaborated with other classmates to establish characters to kind of help tell the tell that story. So we really focused on that to help push the story forward in a minute, two minutes' time length.
4: Uh, this is Jen speaking here. Um, I think one of the most important aspects of short film compared to I guess long-form narrative film that you you know you go see at the Raleigh Grand every now and then but um those those hour and 40 to two hour films give you a lot of time as a filmmaker to let moments breathe you get moments with your characters that are kind of um luxurious where you get to learn a lot more about the the little specifics but with short film it's like you kind of got to get to the point as soon as possible otherwise you're wasting your time because the whole point of the form is to keep things brief but to still give you a really compelling story and I think that's really difficult um when it comes to making short films um I actually have a film partnered with Aaron from the digital video video class which was about eight minutes and then I also have a one minute film from Sarah Stein's film production class on 16 millimeter and it was astounding to me like how different um it is to make a one minute versus an eight minute versus a 25 minute independent that I just self-produced as well and it's it's definitely an interesting process because Stein was like, okay, you got one minute to shoot something, have fun, you know, good luck. And then the other, I wanted to say one more thing is about 16 millimeters that we didn't have audio, so you can't rely on dialogue at all. So it's, it's you've got to, it's, you, this is a visual medium here that you're working with. I mean, you can, you can supply music tracks, but like, you can't, there's no dialogue, this is all visual. So I think that's one really great thing, I guess, especially compared to animation, which I know absolutely nothing about. So I just wanted to add that in there.
3: Great. Thanks. And I'd like to thank you all for um, each of your input there. Next, we'll like to talk to each of you a bit more specifically about each of your pieces. But first, we're going to take a real quick break. Stay tuned. Hello. This is Tim Presley from White Fence. You're listening to WKNC.
7: WKNC's Double Barrel Benefit is back and better than ever. Join us on February 7th at Lincoln Theater when Spider Bags will headline and February 14th at Cat's Cradle when Eternal Summers will headline. You can buy tickets right now at wknc.org dbb12. Tickets are $12 for one night or $22 for both. Hope to see you there.
1: Hey, this is Molly
0: from Always, and you're listening to WKNC. The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
3: And welcome back. We'd like to thank you for tuning in. This episode on Eye on the Triangle, we are discussing with students and professors involved with the Student Short Film Showcase here at NC State. We'd like to come back from our break and talk a little bit more specifically with each of the creators or each of the students about or rather i guess i suppose in some case graduates about their their uh, specific films and if we could start i suppose um breaking it down by medium as you guys had suggested uh digital film and that i believe is aaron uh yes it's aaron and jen um we were collaborators and
5: it's digital video i'm going to correct you on that digital film there's no film in that um yeah so that's what separates it um but yeah, my, uh, our film was Remnants, um, which we shot uh, for the digital video production course. Um, it kind of, it's based off a book that um, I had read. It just actually just two characters in that book. It's not the whole book. Um, and I just, I kind of didn't know what to do. I was kind of looking around for ideas. And these two characters in this novel, um, it was kind of about Backwoods, Ohio in like the 1950s and 60s. And I was always a huge fan of, like, Southern Gothic, um, so I thought, you know, since I had this kind of connection to these, these characters, I would pull this out and try to, like, see if I can do a story with those. Um, so it tells a, a story about a, a boy and his father, um, and it's, it's kind of an ambiguous time, um, but uh, it tells, yeah, about uh, this, well, what, what do you want me to say, the plot of it, or... Uh, you don't
3: necessarily have to give it away. Okay, I was about to
5: say, yeah, bit... you guys might see it, so I don't want to uh, spoil it too much. But
3: Right, um, but I was wondering, I noticed that, and this is kind of a common theme in a lot of the short films, but I noticed that there's not a lot of dialogue, and I'm wondering if that's something that is just done for sake of time because you don't have time to have people say things, you just want to imply things, or is it done for the sake of not having to deal with, um, yeah, I guess, professionally trained actors and actresses? Is there a specific reason for that, or... Um, I know
5: for for me, this is still Aaron speaking. Um, it was a little bit. It's, it's definitely not a time thing, or um, it's a little bit of leftover from uh, Doctor Stein's class, actually. Um, and in there, like Jen said, that you don't you can't use dialogue in there, so it's all visual. Um, and one of the big takeaways from that class is is telling your story visually. Um, so that's kind of a rule that I've I've always kind of stick to is is it's a visual medium, so kind of that's what you want to take use of. So just as little dialogue as possible. Sometimes that's just my preference. Um, I think it can definitely work if you know, I've there's dialogue, heavy films that are great. Um, but just my preference, I just prefer to try to tell it as much as I can through images. So the less dialogue, the better. Um, and then also just on a practical aspect, just as an independent filmmaker or just even a student filmmaker, your resources are very limited and audio is one of those things that is very hard to get right. Um, so it's it's kind of the necessary evil in a lot of times um in a lot of ways so the less you can do
3: of that the better um in a lot of cases sometimes so yeah and now you mentioned that this film your digital video is that correct yes <laughs> for yeah. rem, uh, particular remnants you said that that's a collaboration of, with jen and i was wondering um what was the balance there with the, between the two of you in, in what was created um i was the writer director and jen was the uh dp or the
5: director of photography she shot it um and then also edited it um so
4: um yeah this is jen speaking um that was one of the biggest things for me is i came into state and obviously i've been well not obviously but i've been i've been interested in film for a long long time and i came into these classes and similarly to stein's class but also in in digital video as well they say okay um Make a film, write it, and direct it, and that's never been my forte. I've always been interested in the technical aspects of filmmaking, being shooting and photography and cinematography, and of course editing. And it's very much a technical craft. So it was it was really nice for Aaron to present such a like compelling story that I could be like, okay, I'm gonna jump on that because I don't I'm not a writer and I never want to be. Um, so it was it was just really great because finding a person that you can really team up with where you balance each other out so well is really really nice. So. I think we made a really great team, and we—it uh, was not very much, um, I guess, combating each other. We we pretty much got along really, really well, which is really hard when you work with someone so much, like so consistently. It's, it's, it's good to nice, it's good to find a nice balance between, you know, your artistic styles and stuff like that. So it was a great, great experience. Other than twelve hour straight shooting days, that's a little rough. <laughs> um, yeah, but but uh, one other note is um, with the dialogue. Stein always said, "Don't if you can do it in another medium, why use film?" you know, or I'm sure with animation as well, it's, she's like, if you can read it in a book, why would you show it in a film? So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways as far as audio is like, I mean, if you're going to have people say it, why don't you show it? It's especially if you, if audio is an issue for you. So I think that was one of the biggest things as well. And I definitely think in terms of our film, that our actors are very, very uh, competent and very confident as well with um, their acting abilities. So they were, they were really great as well. I just want to give a shout out to them.
3: And so, Jen, for for your piece, um, malevolence, that's as I understand a different medium. And what is that?
4: Um, yeah, malevolence is a very short, sixteen millimeter film. It's about one minute, um, and that was also that was made for science class. And it was one of the actual first things that I had ever written and directed myself. Because, like I said, I'm I'm very much interested in um, direct, the director of photography position on filmmaking. Um, but it was it was definitely an interesting experience because. You know, I, I was born in the 90s, grew up in the 90s and early thousands, and you know that's when digital was like, in in terms of video and in terms of every digital technology was kind of coming about. And so, I grew up with the ability to like shoot something and oh well, I don't like that, let me redo it. But coming into science class, they she's like, okay, well you got one shot. Your ratio of shots is like you get maybe two tries to get the shot right. Maybe if not, you get one. So it's kind of like a very 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 different experience, um, and it's also kind of terrifying. I'm not going to lie. It's absolutely terrifying. Film is so scary. And after a class, I was like, I don't even know if I ever want to do that again, because it's very, very hard. And I don't think a lot of people um, think about that, especially people my age, our age, who are so overwhelmed by digital technology today. It's like, oh, film, analog film is still like a thing. Like, oh, okay, that must be kind of a joke. But it is very, very hard. And that's pretty much my biggest takeaway from this course.
3: So you're emphasizing how difficult it is. Is that strictly with respect to having to plan everything so so thoroughly beforehand or are there other aspects of it
4: yes absolutely i mean like if if your actors aren't very good which mine were great thank goodness but um if they're not very good and they need 10 takes to get it right like and luckily we don't have dialogue so that wasn't a big deal but if they have an action they have to do they got to get it right the first time and with lighting you can't see there's no monitor you know so it's like okay well you got to judge the sun use your light meter set it up oh it says f1.2 you got let me get all those set together really nicely so it's it's very meticulous, as where with digital video, you, you see your little LCD screen that we all have on our cell phones, and you're like, oh, okay, that looks nice. Let me just shoot it. And then, oh, wait, I me- I messed up. Let me do it again. Like, that's not a thing. So it's 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 very, you have to use your senses really, really, like, precisely. You have to, you know, know all the little details beforehand. So, yes, planning is a very huge thing. That's that's definitely the case.
3: <laughs> and so kind of in delving into uh, the subject of your film... Oh. Um, or, I'm sorry. It, it, yes, this yes. is a film. <laughs> yes,
4: this is a actual 16 millimeter film. Believe it or not.
3: Right. And so you mentioned how that one it's entirely visual, and um, you definitely get that. You know, it's obvious when you watch it that it's entirely visible, but a visual. But what I guess is the main message of this. It's a. It's again like one of those other ones where you you're sitting there wanting more. Uh, what I guess what are you, what are you trying to say with with the piece?
4: Um, I'm I'm gonna try not to repeat myself. So I'll try to make this brief. Sure. Um, with my piece, it's, it's it's very abstract, I guess. Um, I've always loved natural light, and so I, I wanted to shoot outside out in the landscape, which I love. So we went on there, and I was like, okay, what can I do outside? And then, like I said, I'm not a writer, so I had a really hard time trying to come up with something. And so I, I kind of knew the scenery and, and stuff like that, but then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm completely lost. And so finally, I kind of took what I knew and kind of put it into a film. So I have a good friend who's a visual artist, and she's a great, great drawer, painter. And I had her paint a self-portrait and sit in front of it out in this open wooded area. It's very, like you said, visual, but also kind of um, dreamy, kinda. It's not, it's not, it's not. Doesn't feel very real. Um, but she, she's she's looking at this painting of herself, which to any normal person like us we would be like, man, that's a really great painting, you know. But yet she still doesn't see, think it's good enough. So that's kind of like myself as a writer and as a director. Like I feel like I'm, I'm comp People probably, other people probably think I'm great. I mean, that sounds bad. That sounded bad. People think that, okay, you guys make good films. You know, you guys you guys are great filmmakers. And, and you know, we all, you know, we all think each other, we're really great. But, like, I think every artist has this um, habit of, like, thinking I could be better. You know, what I could do could be, what I do could be better. And so I think that was my biggest message just thinking being confident as an artist is really important to any artist. And I think we all are a little harsh on ourselves or, you know, self-critical. But that was my main message there. So I'm hoping that kind of came through a little bit
3: well thank you for sharing that
4: yeah sorry i talk so much (laughs) no no thank you
3: um and now jumping over to our other i suppose film in the room is that donna's yes um and yours is titled uh and i'm not i'm not gonna say it correctly so i'm just gonna let you go ahead and and explain the title
0: (laughs) it's anoesis
3: okay and do you mind if i just real quick define that word for our listeners yes so according to, we have Wiktionary, the ever-reliable source, it says it is the reception of impressions or sensations by the brain without any intellectual understanding. And I guess when you turn around and watch your piece, um, it does kind of come through that you realize, oh, hey, that, that does connect. But I was wondering more specifically, um, what is is there a message beyond this, I guess, conveying what this word means or, or what what the experiences of the person in your video is... How does that work?
0: It it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the character that I have in my film. Um, I didn't have a title for the film. It kind of came together with that definition. I was like, what is this What is this message I want to convey? Like, how does this film make me feel? So that's how I came up with that anoesis.
3: <laughs> wow. And so and one of the things we noticed was that um, there's a a color change in the course of the film. Um, I don't want to really, again, like, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm curious what, what does that color change um, signify in terms of what this person is experiencing?
0: It's, it's a juxtaposition between the two, the glass and the person. So it's just showing the different states that this glass is going through and the different states that this character is going through. And it's going back and forth between the two
3: and this is not generally the person that you see um becomes something that you would never generally see on a day-to-day basis um is that in uh, what were you what were you going for in that in that sense
0: as far as that goes i i took the approach like a um i'm really into surrealism with like salvador dalí and marcel duchamp i am i just love them and i kind of brought that canvas to film so when i put that together I wanted to focus on the subconscious and just different things because that, that is a part of, like, everyone, and she kind of went into, like, this, this phase that people experience, and I just had her access that, and she was a really good actress to be able to convey that message and bring that out, and that's just what I was trying to bring out in that film.
3: Uh, hello, this is Ian from Isle on the Triangle, and my question for you is, how did it feel working with your actor? I know she was very... I guess her face, the way that she conveyed her emotions and her thoughts uh how did you feel working with her?
0: Oh, she was a great actress, like she took direction really well. She drove all the way from Charlotte actually to be in that film, yeah, and she, just to see her transform'cause she the way she did on that screen it was it was amazing so yeah it, <laughs> she um she was just a really good actress and just brought, like, she, my vision, she, she brought it out, basically.
3: Yeah, and it, it works very well, yeah. you can tell.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, now, are there other films in the room? I'm forgetting whose film, whose uh, pieces we've touched.
6: I have um, one film as well as an animation. Okay. So I guess I can be the middle person between the two. <laughs> um, so my film is from Dr. Stein's class um, last semester, two semesters ago. Um and um it's entitled uh Paper Crane and um I really had sort of like a lot of other people expressed I had a really hard time coming up with a story and I think part of it is because um part of what everyone has been mentioning is that it is really hard to come up with a compelling story to take place in a minute or two and um have it be interesting and entertaining and so so yeah I had a pretty hard time I was actually really inspired by a gum commercial um, which I don't want to give my story away either, but, um, this is, this is for your film. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you might, you might recognize it. it. Basically there's, um, paper cranes in my film and there's a commercial for extra. I think it was with a bunch of paper cranes in it. And when I was trying to come up with the story, I saw that commercial. And I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just do something with that. We'll figure it out. Um, so
3: now if you don't mind me saying your animation, that's oddball, if I'm not mistaken, right, that's right. That also seems a little bit inspired, um, <laughs> In that it reminds us of another animation uh, studio, I suppose. Um, Was that intentional? Were you going for that?
6: Um, So for that project, that was really, um, that was an assignment for uh, Mark's studio. And really that was to get uh, more familiar in Maya, which is the 3D um, animation software that we used. Um, And so that was one of my first times using Maya. And so the assignment was really to use simple shapes to convey a story. So you didn't really have to worry too much about um, modeling your characters or rigging them too much, or creating these complex scenes, just using simple shapes to um, convey a story. Um, so, yeah, my main characters was a ball with legs and a square with <laughs> with legs, and a bunch of cones for trees. So that was actually really fun to try to come up with a story with these these very simple um, characters.
3: Nice. And do you have Mr. Russo? Do you have something to add in that respect about learning some starting with something simple in order to just learn the program?
7: Well, you know, I mean, it's I mean, that that's a, a key part of the class is to sort of like we're trying to learn this really complicated software. Um some people compare Maya to like flying the space shuttle. It's a, it's a really complicated program, but once you're sort of inside of it and you're sort of limited to a certain area, you realize it's not really that complicated. Um you can find your way in with a little bit of guidance. Um and so, you know, the the project is designed to sort of keep you you know within one sort of area of the program but it also kind of reveals that you don't need all of this complexity to tell a compelling story also right so if you're just released in there and sort of said do whatever you want you know people are going to sort of gravitate toward you know, more complex characters, complex modeling, that you need facial expression, you need, you know, four limbs, uh, you need to be human, you know, to actually tell a human story. Um, but over and over again, you know, what the students reveal, you know, inside of this project is that, you know, just with a, a ball and a, and a cube, you can, you can tell a story that, you know, speaks to, um, you know, a lot of our human experience also.
3: And so, uh, directed at Margot, I was wondering. I understand that your your short um, story film. Uh, you can was, just call it an animation. <laughs> your animation. <laughs> <if> you <want. laughs> I'm, I'm a little I'm trying to be a little bit more careful with my words. No, you're fine. You're fine. But, you're I fine. Um, but uh, yes, I understand it was for the art to wear event. And but was this also functioning kind of as your transition from something a little bit more simple and understanding the software into something that's a little bit more taking advantage of your ability to manipulate it the way you want it to.
1: Yes, actually. Um, I, this, I've this i been animating here for a few years now, and I actually did that project my sophomore year. Um, it taught me a lot about just very primitive aspects of the program, and as I got more comfortable using the program and I began to understand, oh, well, I can do this, and then I can do that, and I'm going to try and test this, I pushed and pushed myself until I decided to take the next step. So for this particular piece, this was my first time actually building a character and making her move from scratch. Um, She was created completely by me, and that was really the whole test.
3: And like you said, every single movement, every single frame, you have to put together.
1: (laughs) Well, in this case, because this is a 3D animation, a lot of it kind of blends into sort of the nice little things that film gives you, where you can... Put a character in one frame and say, "Okay, in twenty seconds, they're going to be over here." In three D, it just moves the character for you. But if it was in two D, you would have to have it every single frame yourself.
7: I'm going to jump in on Margo. Sure. She said twenty seconds, and probably you can you can separate characters for about four frames, and then and that's uh, you know about a twentieth of a second. So it was uh, exaggerating. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the the difference is, and I think people get caught up and get caught up in sort of the 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 different forms of animation, which is also, you know, on the film side, people get caught up in, in the forms of film and video. Um, but ultimately, and it all comes down to storytelling. But to to clarify that, like in 2D animation, you know, 2D animators sort of that old style Disney that people are used to where the animators sort of draw every single frame and you can't have anything happen without, you know, every single frame being drawn. 3D animation does give us the ability to sort of set key poses and have the character sort of move between those two points. So they get a little bit of freedom in that world to to do what they want Uh, but ultimately in the end you're sort of like looking at every single frame and making sure that it does exactly what you want and you know in Margot's case with this character that she had to model uh, that character couldn't have made any of its facial expressions unless Margot had gone in and sort of modeled it to have to make those facial expressions so you still have to go in there and sort of minutely plan out and control all of these things which which has its advantages and then has its disadvantages too because the one thing that film brings you know in listening to the filmmakers talk is that this idea of of you know a an actress coming in and bringing more to it than than you could have expected right so that col- there's always that wonderful collaborative side to to film that that gets a little bit lost on the animation side i think in in our sort of uh you know quest for ultimate controls.
3: and now i understand that um producing a a short film video animation all of this comes with its own set of challenges but does Producing something like that give you more of a, a profound respect, I suppose, for something that maybe a big box studio will come out with. Uh, I guess an animation it might <laughs>
1: definitely. Um, there's the process never ends. Even when you have set, you think you're completely done. You've set everything up. You're like, okay, I'm going to tell this to render, and you leave for two hours, and you come back, and it's all completely wrong. So I can only imagine the disasters that go on in these big studios that have to deal with more than like a minute of animation they have to deal with a whole feature-length film for example
3: do producers in the digital and film also experience the same kind of i guess an awe a sense of awe what i guess a big studio has to go through
5: um yeah this is aaron uh speaking um and i can't yeah i can't imagine now um if there was actually money at stake (laughs) with any of these um and we did have, just to speak real briefly on um, my and Jen's project, uh, Remnants, the digital project, we had the second day of shooting, Our um, one of our actors that we were using, uh, we lost contact with him during the morning, and he was supposed to be there a certain time. And we pretty much waited for like an hour. Um, and we just essentially thought that he had abandoned the project. And we were sitting there at the table at, on the set, just kind of thinking like, what should we do now? Like we we've shot a full day's worth of stuff, and now we have no way to finish it. And thankfully, he rolled up with his mom um, like ten minutes after that, and was like, "I'm so sorry. Like you know, baseball practice ran ran long, and we our phone died, so crisis averted." But for those times, I can't imagine right then. If like I said, if there was a big studio on us or something, and uh, yeah, I it's yeah, I have a huge appreciation for you know the pressures that they're under. So.
4: I guess on a similar but also different note, um, as far as appreciation, I think, especially coming from shooting on S- in Stein's class on on film, when you see films like The Master that are shot on sixty-five, seventy millimeter film, and we think sixteen millimeters expensive for three minutes. Like, think about all the thousands and thousands of dollars that go into shooting large format, seventy millimeter film for two hours or more. I mean, you have directors like Terrence Malick who shoot for at like hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of hours on thirty-five and 60 millimeter film which is just astounding to me and i can't imagine like with film you don't have the ability to see like i said there's no monitoring it so if you shoot hundreds of thousands of dollars with a film and you get it back and something's not right or you know there's a crisis like okay well you can't just delete it and start over i mean that's money you just spent on film so i think after shooting on film like i there was a whole new level of appreciation for films that are films that are shot on film i mean it's a, it's a medium that people are say are not di- people are saying that it's dying but I mean I think as long as there's some kind of appreciation it it should stay alive but I am very very much interested in digital video in terms of feature length films there's a lot of of really great films that are coming out now that are shooting on exclusively um digital intermediate like Ari Alexa's and the red cameras and all those are really really great materials so I definitely think there's room to be nostalgic for film there's also um kind of a like open-minded Aspect that we should probably also give to digital video as well, just for, you know, monetary reasons. But it was definitely a learning experience for sure.
3: Right, and uh, we're gonna take another short break, but when we get back, we will cover the showcase event and how you can get the chance to see each of our guests' shorts. Stay tuned.
6: You are listening to the best radio station in the Triangle, WKNC 881 Raleigh.
3: And we're back. Welcome to Eye on the Triangle. We are going to cover real quick for you guys the um, the event the actual student short film showcase which is the fifth annual and it's hosted by uh, I believe the college is it communications and art and design or how is that?
7: Um, it's it's hosted by or, or sponsored by uh, uh, art the Department of Art and Design in, in the College of Design uh, communications and the library as well so it's a collaboration between three departments
3: great. And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, um, Alyssa, when and where we can catch your films.
6: Sure. So the first one, um, the first installation is February 11th um, from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, open to the public at Tally Student Center in the Currituck Ballroom. Um, and the second one will be at uh, the Hunt Library Auditorium on February 19th at 7 p.m. as well.
3: Great. Thank you very much. And of course, that's all we have for you this evening. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know and tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on some more local news. Also be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast, which will be up shortly. After Hours with Mac Attack is up next at 8, and you can catch another episode of I on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. We'd like to thank all of the students and our professors that came in today, as well as contributors Michaela and Ian. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good night.